Hey there, we're the Westlop Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Scuzz, SRS Distribution Scousebo. I still have no idea what SRS Distribution actually does. Nor do I. <laughs> Host, nor, hey, nor does it matter. Host a great bowl game. That's what they do. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Uh, cats win the Vegas Bowl. I mean, just right there. That That's just incredible. And we have a lot to get into with you know with the game and where where we go from here and what this means to the the program it just there's so much to talk about um can i first can, uh, you know can i just like yeah. a, a crazy stat that i did not realize at all until i happened to see it um earlier today yeah what's up five consecutive bowl victories for northwestern how about it huh that's preposterous yeah, that, we were the is, team that it, couldn't win for decades I know it's so funny because everyone was talking about Northwestern had that crazy long bowling streak. I mean, bowl losing streak. And now I don't want to jinx it, but it's like we're oh so close to like pulling toward 500 now because of this winning streak that we're on, which is, I mean, would have been crazy to say back in the day. But I mean, that's kind of one way. And obviously we'll circle back around to this later. But the idea of the it's it's hard not to get swallowed up immediately by the largest significance, right? I mean, the largest significance in the grand scheme of, like, the history of Northwestern, the largest significance in terms of this season. I mean, it's like when people are like, what's your favorite thing about this game? I'm like, there's so many, but the favorite thing is that it was the eighth win. That's my favorite thing about it. It's like that we went eight and five this season, which even now to say it out loud is so unbelievable to be like, Picked to go two and ten, going eight and five after everything that happened. I mean, it's just mind bending. And again, we'll circle back around to it. But I mean, this is one of the all time seasons, you know. And and this being a part of it and being able to be like, oh my god, we are stringing five straight bowl wins together, and oh my gosh, we are pulling things together here. It's it's just incredible. And as as great as parts of this game are that we're gonna go to, it's just the, the overall picture of it is just so fantastic. It's funny because like leading up to the bowl, I had a real like this is gravy kind of mentality of, yeah, you know, gosh, we won seven. I, I never expected anything even close to that. We're in a bowl, which is preposterous. Like, I obviously I really hope they win, but you never know. Like, what are you going to do? Yada, yada, yada. And then about, I don't know three minutes into the game i'm foaming at the mouth like <laughs> so for that, like for them to actually bring it home and, and put the put the exclamation point uh, and the punctuation mark on on what was what was already one of the top three or four northwestern football seasons of all time um this really like it was it was a magical day i was i was so so happy uh on the 23rd and it just that that just bled right into the holiday and everything else. It was, yeah, it was a good, it was a good weekend, guys. Yeah, and and John, I I said this to you when we were getting everything set up at Bermiscuous. Um, again, shout out to Austin for hosting a great, great party at Bermiscuous, and shout out to everyone who came out. someday um, I'll be there, guys. someday nice, I'll be there for it, it. It was it was a it was a fun little crowd, and you know we had some sound issues you know, up on the first floor, but Austin took care of us, took us down to the. The private room downstairs and it felt like we were just hanging out in someone's den it was fantastic 
Um, but John, I said to you as we were getting uh, getting things ready, and it's like I I didn't feel nervous. I didn't feel like on edge like I normally do before games. It was just like you know what we're here and this is awesome. And you know I hopefully we win. But like this is you know I didn't have those nerves. And yeah, when the first two plays, two out of the first three plays are sacks for us, and. It's like, oh, here we go. Let's go. And two out of the, like, like f- four of the first six plays were sacks. Yeah, they, they the were. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I think I, after so, after those first two drives, I, I think we had a pretty decent sense of what we were uh, getting into. So let's talk about, because obviously you all watch this game. In a lot of ways, this game was no peach. Did it lack for drama? <laughs> of course not. It had fantastic drama. Was it the greatest overall showing in in some ways? No. In other ways? Oh, hell yes. And because, again, we're all still many days later. And again, this, this pod is going up a little bit later for us. But, of course, you guys all know it's the holidays. I mean, this is what it is. Like, you're, we're pulling this together in the wake of this game rolled right into Christmas, rolled right into everything. So um, we're pulling it all together. But... Again, we're still all basking in the overall glow of just what has happened here. It's like, I don't want to start anywhere except for just all the very best positives from this. And I would say, here's the biggest positive for me that dovetails right with what you're saying, Sammy. Regardless of the scoreboard, regardless of everything else, how many minutes into this game was it clear Northwestern was just the flat better team? I mean, five minutes, ten minutes? Up three drives, four drives, five drives total. It was just obvious. It was obvious Utah was going to score zero or just more than zero points in this game. It was obvious that our defense was going to play one of its best games of the entire season against a Utah team that was depleted and disorganized. And it honestly didn't feel like they had a prayer of scoring for 90% of this game. John, I mean, John I I'll, 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 I'll mark it. It was, you know, so those, those first two drives, both teams went three and out, and you're thinking, whoa, defensive battle. And then Northwestern came out and moved the ball. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess it was only, I guess, I guess they didn't move very far, but they were, they were able to run. They, they, you know, Cam Porter went three, three, eight. And then, yeah, Utah stopped Northwestern from there, and we, we missed a field goal. But the fact that, like, we, we, had, we had tilted field position against a team just renowned for dominating it. We had moved the ball on the ground, which which seemed kind of preposterous, and then they came out and went three and out again with negative yards again, unable to run the ball. That 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 felt that was a demarcation point that that changed only briefly um, when when they scored their touchdown to tie it up uh, right before you know right right at the beginning of the fourth quarter. So. Um, but that, yeah, it, it it felt like from there that this was Northwestern's game uh, to take. Oh, I mean, yeah, and it's like we spent all this time on the last pod, as did you all, and rightfully so, because it's Utah, right? Coach co- coached by Kyle Whittingham, a, you know, a fantastic coach, as good as there is. We all spent a lot of time girding our loins, right, to be like, this is Utah. I don't care if like five guys are out or 10 guys are out. This team is stacked with talent. They're incredibly well coached, et cetera, et cetera. And by like mid second quarter, we're all like, Jesus, like 
quit batting them around and just put them away. Because we were like, oh my god, like we're obviously the better team here. It's not close. They have a non-functioning offense. And again, our defense, like this is, I wanted to pull it up because we put it up. These numbers, I mean, go looking if you want to. It's hard to find a bigger beatdown that the Northwestern defense has put up than this one. It's ludicrous. Utah had 211 yards. They had 73 passing yards, which is ludicrous. And, you know, we had Jaheim Joseph had the two picks. They averaged 2.7 yards a carry. They turned it over three total times. They were 5 of 15 on third down, 0 for 2 on fourth down. Our defense smoked them. Oh, and I mean, this, it's like, this, this yeah. is the place to start because, like, yeah. so both teams, right, John, you joked, you joked right out the gate, like, or maybe I did, I can't remember, but, like, both teams, the three and outs on the first two drives, f- four sacks and six plays, it was very clear both teams were working through some changes on the O-line, right? There were opt-outs um, and or injuries in both in both spots, and then all of a sudden – Northwestern's defensive line showed up and showed out five sacks in this game. Five for, sacks by five different guys for Northwestern's defense. Um, I think I think six was the high mark of the whole season, but we didn't see close to five in a lot of different games. And this was not Northwestern was not a team that got to the quarterback um, a lot, but it wasn't just the five sacks. At one point in the broadcast, the announcers were talking about how. Northwestern was playing these two deep safeties and just daring Utah to establish the run. And, but that was preventing Utah from doing anything deep down the field. And they were struggling to move the ball. And I was like, guys, you're missing the point. Our defensive line is eating Utah's lunch. They can't run and they, and they, and they're, and they can't get comfortable. Bryson Barnes can't get comfortable in the pocket. And that's Northwestern is generating that with pressure from four dudes who we have talked about all year that have done this on the back of effort and determination and persistence. It was right. in, an incredible performance from that defensive yeah. line. Oh, it was, it was unbelievable. And like you said, the numbers are one thing, but it's just the dominance. I think of Carmine Bastone's sack. On the play that Carmine Bastone got his sack, he and Aiden Hubbard obliterated Utah's line. It was like mm-hmm. two guys destroying four guys. And it happened immediately. And you're like, holy crap. You're like, the Utah, literally. And we put up like the highlight reel of just the absolute punishment the defensive line put on Utah in this game. It's all on a gif up on, on our Twitter feed. Go look at it. I mean, it was just a massacre. We, and again, we, it was, right. And yeah. we've, ta- we've talked about him a number of times this year. I just want to, like, Carmine Bestone, last year, last year played a lot on on the defensive line was listed at 260 pounds was a walk onto the team this dude put in all of the work all of the effort and the outcomes not not just the ball game you've seen us put a put up gifts of him smoking Talia Tungavailoa and the Purdue quarterback and gosh knows who else like like that that change in mindset development focus like performance and outcome I, I like 
I'm I'm speechless with with the plotted like the the plaudits that I want that I want to put on guys like Carmine and and the rest on the D line. It's unbelievable the turnaround we've seen there, and it, it, like this game against Utah could not be a better um a better showcase of what they did because that like the D line dominated the game, and that that is what shut down Utah's offense. And then mm-hmm. we feasted with turnovers, you know, Rod Hurd with the fumble and the, the linebackers were playing spectacular. It just like it all came together in the best possible way. Right. And that's the thing, right? It's like, right, like Jaheim Joseph had two picks. So that's one of the safeties who was back there. And then you've got Rod, Devin, Bryce Gallagher and Xander Mueller, right? I mean, three of those are all Big Ten players and Devin's one of the best young players in the Big Ten, right? Those guys combined for over 40 tackles and just it's. This is something else that we talked about, too. Like, we've been talking about it amongst ourselves, and I think you're all aware of it, too. But we we alluded to it in last week's pod that we knew Utah was going through a lot of flux. And we knew that, you know, that, for example, Josh Preeb was going to be out for this game. But Northwestern wasn't going to have any other starters, right? Like, Northwestern was not decimated through the portal prior to this game the way Utah and so many other teams were. And I think it's... I have like, I have no regrets about that. When you're like, "Hey, well, you guys had like more stability." Than the other, I'm like, "Let me tell you what it's like trying to make the transfer portal work at Northwestern, right? Yeah. Where a guy leaves, and we just have all of these standards that other teams don't have that not, bar not, our ability to, like, not just standards. This is not about like academic standards. It's hard to transfer into Northwestern. Like, the, like Northwestern will literally not allow guys to transfer in right now." They're literally not allowed to transfer into Northwestern during this portal window. They have to wait until spring quarter. Right. Oh, because uh, winter it's winter quarter is just about to start. Literally, right? like, to, to get not to get all the paperwork and stuff together, allowed. Right. How it's, preposterous it's like, is that? Exactly. So it's like we set these standards within the school that I know so many of us gnash our teeth about, right? But on the flip side. I, so, like, when you're like, well, and, and so many of these things breed a special place with a special bonds and special communities where guys don't just want to jump ship. And, you know, it's not a giant thing of musical chairs, et cetera, et cetera. I apologize for none of that. And if that leads to us having an extra advantage in bowls like that, then so be it. And in this case, again, it was like, we've talked about this all. This is a defense that really feels disrespected a lot of the season. Lest we forget, this was yet another game where Northwestern was the underdog going into this game, and yet another game where they both covered and won outright. I mean, it's like, this is a unit that has felt disrespected, that was intact, locked in, and ready to go. And it's just like, again, I'm like, I look and I'm like, it's Rod Hurd, Bryce Gallagher, and Xander Mueller, three all-Big Ten players, playing behind a defensive line that dominated in this game. And, And again, I'm like, for that defense and what Scuzz was talking about, like a guy like Carmine Bastone being the avatar for this, the work that those guys put in, the way that they unbelievably transformed last season to this season and continued to improve all season and saw it crest like this, I mean, it's perfection. Seven points is the lowest number of points allowed by Northwestern in a bowl game ever. That's wild. And like, and you know, to think about the way we were looking at this defensive line at the beginning of the season, you know, yeah. we, we just, you know, we were wrong 
flat out and everyone was wrong because this we weren't like off on some limb somewhere I mean there was there was legitimate concern and like you know looking at it after the end of last season and you know who's coming back and you know we had to change the D-line coach Marty Long is gone and um, you know, this David Braun guy is coming in. We're not sure what, uh, you know, what to make of him. And, you know, he's had good defenses before and we'll see. And just the way they, they came together, the way they just bonded and exploded and dominated all season long. Yeah. And I remember us being like, oh my gosh, like, where are we going to find like four or five, like quality guys to be a part of this rotation? This defensive line played 12 guys, meaningful, strong reps this season. And like a ton of those guys played in this game. Like I like you know the names. I could list them forever. But it's twelve guys, a huge portion of whom will be back next season. And it's like they're you know it's it again. It's from the defensive side. And again, we mentioned Joseph too. But you know the, just to have those turnovers and, and Joseph. There's another guy. Three interceptions in his last two games. I mean these guys were cresting. They all crested as a unit at the exact right time. As as the numbers guy who has spent an inordinate, inordinate amount of time over the last, uh, I don't know, two and a half decades trying to like figure out how to predict college football outcomes with, with data, um, there is there is no there's no answer to measure or anticipate or predict or understand really the mental side of the game. It just it just like you you, you can't you can't forecast how a guy is going to develop. You can't forecast the type of effort and determination that a guy like Carmine Bastone put in. You can't, you can't predict the way a team's going to come together in, in a new scheme with a new coach. Like this stuff is just, it's, you can't do it. And so, you know, at the beginning of the season, we all do our best, right? Like we're looking, we're looking at what we saw on the field last year and we're thinking, gosh, Northwestern's defensive line lost a couple of key players from last year. We don't feel great about how it's going to come together unless these variables hit. And there were a bunch of other ones that there's no way you could have predicted. And that's like, don't, don't, don't give up before the season starts folks. And I think like, like I'll give us credit. Like we were pretty, we've, we've been accused in the past. Accused is the wrong term. People have complained to us in the past that we have been, um, too Pollyannish or too, you know, um, too optimistic about what Northwestern might achieve. And, and I think we've taken some of that to heart, but we, like we came into this year and we were super honest and transparent about like, Hey guys, like everyone eyes wide open here. Like this does not look great. And we certainly hope that they turn it around. Here's the path we see. We, we drew it out of what we saw it would take for Northwestern to get to six wins. And, I'll, I'll give us credit for doing that. It's a lot more than a lot of other uh, outlets put together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But the, I think what was so special and so much fun about the ride this year is how unexpected and how incredible it was in a certain certain couple of ways. But you could you could see it coming together. You could see it coming together as 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 we went along. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. 
Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Simpson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SimpsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation. And go Cats. And I, I, I do want to you know keep talking about yeah. how, how this... You know, but I, wa- I want to get back to the game here just a little bit and talk, talk about the offense. Oh. Um, uh, what, what, just, one quarterback was dialed in and the other was not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's um, well. Yeah, go ahead. Just, no, just you know, Ben Bryant. You know, all just hats off to him. The grittiness that he had uh, to play the way he did. Got and I was about to say he got knocked out of the game. And you know, how much was he actually knocked out of the game? Is, is well, uh, a, that's a question a thing- that we're not we're we're not neurologists. We're we're not gonna. I don't want to go down the, did he have a concussion? Did he not? And did he play through a, I, like, that's not a, well, what I want to talk about, but like the fact that he came back and engineered the game winning drive, the way he did just beautiful long passes, gorgeous pass to Henning. I mean, the, the touchdown pass uh, was, I, 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 was beautiful. We're, we're not neurologists, but I'm going to say this. There are many cases in the last 15 years in which we've all been watching football where, you see a guy get concussed and he comes back and he looks confused. You can see it. You can see missed reads, bad handoffs, bad throws. You've, you've seen that. Like the, like the, the, the example I saw compared to, to Bryant was Tua Tonga Valoa. Um, mm-hmm. You've seen that with Tua Tonga Valoa. Ben Bryant was sharp as shit when he came back in the game. So like, I, like I'm not a neurologist, but, the the hit certainly looked bad, right? Like a glancing blow, like a, it was a glancing blow to the side of his head. He kind of got sandwiched between two guys. Certainly got hit. Um, it wasn't like a back of the head smacking against the turf, like we've seen again with Tua um, last last year in the NFL, etc. But certainly looked like a bad hit. He went in the tent, sat out for several plays. They evaluated him, and then the guy came back in and was sharp as shit. If you if you watched or listened to any of the post game interviews with him, th- th- like there was nothing, nothing to indicate that he was affected in any way after that hit, and that does not mean that he didn't take some sort of physiological damage or anything. Like I, like I'm not I'm not like all all I'm all I can do is is focus on the evidence at hand. And, and there's nothing and to for- tell me that they did the wrong thing in that tent. Let's not forget he did miss a couple games with a shoulder. And well, yeah. like if, he, so, if that shoulder got got knocked I, funny. I that's what I thought when he took the hit is I thought it was his shoulder. And then yeah. it was on that what the second to last play where he where he ran for the first down and, and took another big hit and came up holding his shoulder. That's I, I honestly thought that's what the injury was. Well, so let's let's deal with all of the the realism of the realistic things that happen during this situation and what we do know and just like let's look at this clear-eyed, right? In Beermiscuous in that room when it happened, when he was lying on the ground, <clears throat> we all said that looks like a fencing response. That's what we said in the moment. He yep. was clutch the way his arm was clutching. We said that we're like that looks like a fencing response. That's what people, some people in the press box said. That's what other people on Twitter said, etc. I'm just telling you what we said in the moment. So I, I big, had the same thought. Watch right. It. So yeah. that's a that's a big part of it, right? 
we can also realistically say a couple of other things. David Braun, first of all, was is disconnected from concussion protocol. But we also know, I think we're all pretty confident saying there's no way David Braun's putting uh, Ben Bryant back in that game if he thinks he has a concussion. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm only giving you the read on what I've seen from one season out of this man, but this man... I'm just like, this man is going to do what's best for the health of his players. I'm just saying, this guy just looks like a heart of gold guy. Like, that's just what I'm seeing. Ben Bryant, I would say we're all pretty comfortable in saying, not the pushiest guy. That's not the vibe he gives off. This is not a guy who's out there going to be forcing himself back onto the field. And let's just extrapolate. There is no one on that sideline. If your head coach isn't that kind of guy and your quarterback's that kind of guy, there's no one else like, I remember, like, watching Caleb Tiernan going up and hugging Ben Bryan after that game. And even, like, a guy like Caleb Tiernan was kind of being like, I want to hug you, but I don't know what your total physical situation is. So I'm just trying to be, like, as gentle with you as I can here. And just, like, it's all a way of saying uh, no one on the sideline was sending him back in. There's no one over there who was forcing him back into the game. I think the one lingering question I would have, and again, this goes to the we're not neurologists, we don't know, if it was fencing response, what is the thing he wouldn't have passed in the concussion check? You know what I mean? Like, that's the one thing. And it's like, again, I don't know the ins and outs of that, but you hope that that kind of thing exists, right? Like, you hope that we've progressed to a point where there's some way that they could evaluate and that there would be that thing. And again... I'm not saying I know the answer one way or another. And if someone does, if someone in the medical staff does and wants to speak it in a general non-HIPAA violation way, we'd be happy to hear, you know, those details. But I just think it's as simple as, and again, like Scott said, no one rushed him back. Ryan Holinsky was out there for a while. And I think at the point, at some point, they were just like, well, you did the test and you passed all the things. And that's, there's a really good chance that's because like Scott's you know, was saying, and again, we don't know one way or another, but it's possible that he just wasn't concussed and that it could have been his shoulder or just he was in pain because he really got the crap kicked out of him in the fourth quarter of this game and that eventually he forced his way back onto the field. And I think that's the the big thing that we, you know, where we all end up on this and why Northwestern Nation was ready to carry him out of that stadium on a throne at the end of this game is... Regardless of the specifics of what happened, that guy got the crap kicked out of him and came I mean, back from, onto from, the field. From the second and third play of the game, and we, oh. we mentioned that off the top. Right. And again, and that's not like his worst hit on the game came on that 10-yard scramble, right, where he went and tried to make a play and was moving the chains and just got clocked. And it's, I mean, you couldn't have given more from a physical standpoint than he gave in this game. I mean, right, again, it gets like putting everything anyone's suspicions or, or what they suspect about relative to concussion, etc. No one forced him out back onto that field. He passed the test straight up, and this is a guy who got the tar beat out of him and then gave everything he could for this football team and played ludicrously clutch football down the stretch to, well, to get us to win. And I think it's really important to note, like, the guy was locked in mentally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, he made... Every right decision down the stretch of of this game, and I, I I like again, none of us are neurologists, like, but I think that matters. I really think that matters based on on however many years um, of watching football and being like, oh my god, this guy is concussed, he's confused, get him out of there, get him off the field. At no point 
at no point was there even an iota of a moment with Ben Bryant where you thought that. Yeah. And instead, I mean, he comes out and produces an all-time Northwestern play. That touchdown pass to Bryce Kurtz. Unbelievable pass. Oh. Un- unbelievable catch. I mean, it's an all-timer with less than a minute left in the game. Um, and, I mean, and and the pass right before that from to Henning. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the poetry of it, too, with that pass being to Henning, the two touchdown passes being to Kurtz and Johnson, the guys that, that we've talked about, you know. Um, and, again, like, there was... And, you know, we'll get to it in a little bit. Like, this train that we were like, the offense is going to run through these guys. We talked about it with Bradley Lockover. Like, they have a depleted secondary, and our wide receivers are awesome, and our quarterback's awesome. It all runs right through there. And it took some time, right? It had its fits and starts, and it didn't really get started the way we wanted to. But Lord Almighty did it finish the way we wanted to. And right, when it mattered the most, those guys were all just throwing 100 miles an hour. Well, well, I, I, I felt like I noticed right away, like, this Utah defense felt akin to the toughest defenses we played all year. And I like the only thing that stopped me from saying, like, I think this is the toughest defense we played all year is I just know how hardcore Iowa, Iowa. is. Um, yeah. But, but like the physicality, the speed that they had and the, and like the, the power and the intensity of their, of their hitting that felt even beyond what, what Iowa brings to bear. And um, I, I, I was really impressed at how Northwestern weathered that storm early on because Iowa or Utah's defense, they had, they had so many um, opt-outs or back out, backups or whatever on offense. And yes, they had a couple of key players missing on the defensive side, but it felt like they came out and were really trying to punch Northwestern in the mouth and intimidate and um, kind of take over the game from that, from that side of it. Northwestern wasn't having it. And that's a real testament to Brian and everything you just said, John, about how he warriored through this game is a real testament. Like the hits that Cam Porter took, mm-hmm. r- like like running in this game and the yardage that he gained. Like his stats are are very pedestrian, thirty three yards on ten carries. Like that doesn't tell the story of the 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 power and the intensity with which Cam Porter ran and the hits that he that he absorbed, um, and the 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 critical gains that he made. Um, in this game. I think the, I think the other the other huge piece and you go back to the beginning of the season, just the evolution of this team throughout the year. In this game, Northwestern had four penalties for 30 yards. Now, Utah had fewer, but zero turnovers. We we, we knew that was that was going to be the case. I mean, like we figured this was not going to be a highly penalized game. Yeah. But but at the beginning of the year, Northwestern was still struggling with that. Whether it was holding, false starts, shifts this like like the this team got to a point by the end of the season where they were executing at a dramatically higher level than at the beginning of the year and that was a to me that calm and that poise as this game got underway that that allowed them to weather that storm from utah and it allowed them to ultimately take advantage when utah started to get sloppy on their on their side of the ball when they when they were on offense um but yeah it just like Bryant, the receivers. It was as as long the, as we're talking about clean. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say that the highlights were there. There, there weren't like it's a small number of highlight plays, but my God, there were some, some real highlights. Yeah. Well, well, as and and here's the thing, right? As long as we're talking about clean football, 
there's another huge piece of this game that we have to talk about in terms of the way it unfolded in the fourth quarter. When Northwestern made that unbelievable scoring drive at the end of the game, here's what the offensive line was, left to right. Mm -hmm. Caleb Mm -hmm. Tiernan at left tackle. A hurt Josh Thompson at left guard. Ben Rather at center. Dom D'Antonio at right guard. And Zach Franks playing his first meaningful game reps in months was at right tackle. Because, first of all, Josh Pre being out for this game, Jordan Knox started this game and got injured in this game, but not before he unleashed hell on a couple of guys. And enough, enough, it's, the highlights are online and enough for you to go, oh, wow, that guy has a big future as a guard for Northwestern. But then he got hurt. And again, you're already talking about a line that is down um, a player. And they so they shuffled so again you've got Josh Thompson your right tackle playing left guard and then he gets hurt has to leave the game then comes back into the game Franks comes in again hasn't played and they play clean awesome protection down the stretch to enable Northwestern to win this game I mean it's amazing and and again for a guy like Franks to after you know losing his job at the beginning of the season to be able to come back in and you know like People were talking online. You never wish for injuries. And again, like it's horrible that Jordan Knox went out. But for a guy like Franks, who is one of the veterans on this team and, you know, had to lose his job earlier in the season, to come back and be able to play this well down the stretch at such a meaningful time for Northwestern to win a bowl game, I mean, it's awesome. And again, it's it's almost like a reflection of what we talked about with the D-line. It's you have this big unit of guys who have worked so hard to try to lift themselves up and just through raw effort and and handling adversity in this game, they were able to pull off something really special. So, I mean, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, so we, we've talked so much about, you know, the great things that happened in this game. But, I mean, like, this was a 14-7 to 7 game. I mean, like, this is Big Ten West football. That, uh, you know, RIP Big Ten West, but, you know, we figured we'd give it one last little death rattle. On its way out the door. Um, this was a rock fight. And you know when in a rock fight. Some weird things are going to happen. And you know. We, we all saw. What happened. When Garnett Hollis. Uh, you know got tangled up with. Uh, the other guy's face mask. Ripped off his helmet. And sure looked like he swung it at the guy's head. Immediately followed by a flag. And we were all thinking. Oh man he's done. Like this yep. is this this is over. We, we got lucky. There's no way other to say it than that. We got lucky and Hollis got lucky. Um, and we really needed him. Hollis made huge plays. He had that huge, what is it, third down stop, um, you know, pass breakup late in the game. Um, he was a huge player down the stretch, and he was in there at that point because of luck. We just, they didn't see it when it happened. And that's just, it's just raw luck. Um, and, you know, it is what it is. I mean, like you said, it's weird um, it certainly does not look good on video. I'm sure Hollis no. is asking himself why the hell he did that. And it, but I mean, we got lucky. There's no other way around it. And yeah, there were some other weird things. Like one of the things, right? And I think you're all aware of is this is certainly nothing new to broadcast, and you get why they do it. Oh but, boy. <laughs> well, in this case, 
what I'm thinking, there are a couple things that are on this, and I yeah. think I know the one you're thinking of. But the first one, I, was, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of two different things. Yeah. And I, I, so yeah. the the first one was, it it became clear to us at the very end of the game that the announcing team was in possession of a lot of information that the rest of Northwestern Nation hadn't gotten yet. Breaking one, news. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It suddenly was like the CNN like Chiron at the end of this game with the stuff that they were dropping. But one thing is that they had been given the definitive, and we, we were all basically sure, but they'd been given the definitive, Mike Bajakian's not going to be coming back. And as these broadcasts often try to do, and you can see these the sense of honor that they're trying to come from, right? They're like, look, this is this guy's swan song. Um, we are going to try to do right by him in this swan song. And he happened and to be- it, it was It was very interesting that Bajakian was on the sidelines this game. Right. And, um, and, and not think, up in the booth. Right. And the fact that he for, was on for the a, sidelines. For a, for a preposterously explained reason, I might add. Yeah. Well, what was the reason they gave? What was the reason? The, the reason they gave is that he's on the sidelines because the. The, the microphones because so so this this was one of many college football games that was trialing having um the quarterback uh mic'd up uh like with a headset inside the helmet the, yeah the the, wire, the wireless headsets so there were no that. you know i'll be honest like something i did not miss one iota was all the pausing and looking at the sidelines to get signals and look at weird right. signage and everything else like good riddance get that shit out um but so because like because of that or they what they said is that because there's a headset and they don't and they can communicate more easily, but Jakeen's going to be on the sidelines. To which I responded, "That makes no sense. These two things are not related. Like the reason no, they're not. The reason you sit up in the booth is so you have a bird's eye view view of the field, and then you would think having a direct line into the quarterback's helmet." Would allow Doesn't matter you to, if you're in the booth or on the sideline. You can t- still talk to the quarterback. Yes. Now, may, now maybe you are not allowed to speak to the quarterback from the booth. That might be possible. And that would be an actual explanation that would make sense. But the explanation was given was that because of because he's got a, a, a mic and it and it reduces some of the communication issues, Bajakian's on the sideline. And to, to their like they showed they gave a number of shots of Bajakian and and Bryant sitting there together looking at the iPad because I guess they were trialing some of the NFL style iPad technology that allows them to review, you know, film and plays like almost in you know, right after a drive, et cetera. Um so like But, the, but. there's probably a lot of good reasons he was on the sideline, but the ones they talked about made no sense. And and, and, and then just the gen the general like Bajakian infomercial, like somebody please hire this what? dude stuff was a little a little un, like I did not like and that. and that's the thing is because he was down there, it was really easy for them to find him and they just went to that well, well again and again. Well and again. He, he clearly talked to them a lot before oh, they yeah. gave him like right. like they ever I think everybody knew. And and right. and I, right. I don't say this meanly. I like like Great, like help. Like I hope Mike Bajakian gets another job. I don't have anything against the dude, but like at no point in the broadcast did we talk about how his record as an offensive coordinator at Northwestern was pretty shit, and and, and he never came anywhere close to the standard that his offenses in his myriad of previous college football stops performed. Not even right. close. We're talking like thirty or forty ranks in S and P plus. It was not even close and they never mentioned it and that and is called like like and that's the thing 
is right yeah. is you have a game playing out offensively in a way that Northwestern fans are all too familiar with while they show Mike Bajakian again and again and again and again. <laughs> that's this such, was, a good, so that's such a good it, point. And again, it was, it was, Let, again. Let's not talk about know, David Braun, who was like the head coach and the defensive yeah. coordinator and turned to this defensive round in like the most preposterous and dramatic 180 degree fashion. But no, let's talk about the offense that scored 14 yeah. points. Right. And that's the thing. And again, we know why they're doing it. They're trying to high road. The guy who they know is about to go out the door, I get it. I get the respect that they were intended. It was just the end result was just a very weird presentation, right? And it was, again, happened in the backdrop of, as Sam said, there were two really weird and regrettable things they did with the camera. That's one of them. The other, and I think we would all agree, worst thing was that they parked on Ben Bryan's family down the stretch when he when was he, hurt. When he was hurt. I mean, and we were like, what the F are you doing? Get the effing camera off of his parents while they're looking at their hurt son. And they just kept going back to it. It wasn't like one time they went back to it again and again, and we were so pissed. And it was just like I mean, I don't they're, know. they're 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 going they're you know showing his mom trying to talk to the security guard to let her on the field because her son is in the medical tent possibly with a concussion because she has no idea she's on the you know she's in the stands right it was just there were a bunch of regrettable choices and again with the Bajakian piece I can see what their thought process was with this you get no excuse this was trash and. That's a family of a Northwestern football player with a hurt kid that's worried about their kid, and that's not the time to be... Fo- and again, it's one time if you do it one time and then you go away, but they went back to that well again, and that's there's no place for that. So, again... Yeah. Maybe maybe that's the part that makes it, makes it egregious. I'll be honest, and maybe I'm just desensitized to it, because I feel like this... I feel like this is kind of par for the courts... Par for the course in, in sports broadcast. Um, it did, like... It, it, I didn't like it, but I didn't think it was, you know, egregious or extremely out of bounds. Go, going back to them over and over again was maybe, maybe, maybe beyond the pale. But um, yeah, I mean, the the one like one shot, it's like, oh, his parents are concerned. Okay, sure, I, I I get that, and you know, they they knew where they were because you know they had found him earlier in, in the broadcast. But like the the length of time that they went back and just yeah, lingered. it was. It was it was rough. it was gratuitous. And, it was gratuitous. And again, then and then they kind of threw through again actions that I don't really support backed themselves into this dramatic thing because then Ben Bryant came back on wearing a Superman cape and led them down, and then they'd already been on his parents. So now they're showing the parents being super excited in the drum on the drama of the moment, and that's I'm cool with. I mean, like again, like. I want to see parents celebrating when their kid has one of the great moments of his life. That's great. But, I mean, as we as we said, you can show it one time, show it, and then get away from it. Don't go. But, but again, so there was the larger... This is all a way of saying, right? We're, all, we're saying there was a larger piece here of just, like, us being like, all right, there are some things about the way that this presentation is being executed that don't... that are, that are weird or regrettable that, that this didn't need to go down like this. And, right, so there was... There was that piece coupled with 
right? The weirdness of the Hollis thing, coupled with the fact that, again, right, like, this game had this weird flavor because the defense was so freaking good from the very beginning. And we were just like, well, we should win this game. And that was the thing. And then we were up for the majority of the game, even though if it was only by one touchdown. And then starting to feel like, when we think we tweeted, it'd be like, look, if we were up 10 nothing, it would feel like we were up 30 nothing in this game because there's no way Utah's getting double digits here. And, you know, the weird things, like the Milkman had it, a, I think we could say, drastically uncharacteristic game in this game, right? I mean, he missed two field goals. He put a kickoff well, out well, of bounds. Well, one was from 51. I oh, mean. for sure. My, my point is, he's a Big Ten's best kicker in my mind. So, like, anything short of, like, you know, he's, for him, this was, you know, a little bit, like, a little bit uncharacteristic. And, I mean, it, whatever. I don't care. I mean, he's unbelievable. So, I, I, I don't care at the end of the day. But, again, this all just lends to the larger, like, this was a weird game in, in a lot of ways with a little just... There's just like that little bit of sour taste lingering over this in a lot of strange ways and, and a little like slight malaise that was all thrown right out the window with the way that this game finished. Well, maybe maybe by way of transition, I want to I ping on that and, and get to our, our uh, Teamworks Media segment. Um, Sam, you can do the official intro in a second, but like... What, what, there was a lot of talk about David Braun and his job as head coach of this team. And there's been a lot of talk broadly, not just during the broadcast, but broadly about David Braun and his job as head coach leading this team and the turnaround that he's executed and that, 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 is, that has been brought forth. What has not been talked about nearly enough is his job as defensive coordinator because he also yeah. retained responsibility for the defense. And lest anyone has forgotten, Northwestern fielded the worst, correct me if I'm wrong, worst or second to worst run defense in the Big Ten the prior two seasons. It was the worst run defense last year. Yeah. And to turn that around into what you saw in this bowl game, in this season, while also executing your first job as a head coach, your first coaching job at the FBS level in a position that you were put in at the 11th hour with everything that went down over the summer with Fitzgerald is, is nothing short, short of Herculean. And I just like the, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to I bristle a little bit like that. Like you made the heart of gold comment earlier, John, and I don't disagree at all. I just, I like, I, I'm I'm trying to do less um, hero worship of of my my sports heroes yeah. <laughs> as I as I reach my later stages in life, um, and that's not to take anything away from from Braun individually, but like specifically the job that he did this year, the 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 outcomes against all odds, et cetera, is is objectively objectively insane and incredible and just like so uh, there's somebody on twitter that said if he's not national coach of the ward he should still win the broils as the best (laughs) coordinator because like my god the defensive turnaround was absurd yeah it was incredible and i and i think with that let's go to our uh like the post segment brought to you by teamworks media um 
and and kind of think about you know this game and this season and you know we we talked last week um about where this bowl might land in the terms of our of like the all-time northwestern bowl games and you know we we said like as as it'd be hard to rank until we until we think until we saw the game i mean we could talk about where we where we thought it might rank in and I, I think going in it was like, oh, this has the potential of being like top half of of all the bowl games that Northwestern had played in. But now coming back and, and looking at it in hindsight and looking at what this game meant and what it meant to the season and to to put the bow on this season, especially, and this game's place in that, it it you know, to me, this is rocketing real close to the top of the list well, well, of Northwestern bowl games. Well, let's start with this observation that, that Jay shared with us. And this was, this was posted by the big 10 network on Twitter. And, and you know, I, I think everybody knows like Braun won big 10 coach of the year and was very well deserved in that. But um, David Braun is the first big 10 coach ever to take a team that won one game or fewer and post at least eight wins, including a bowl victory the following season, the first coach ever. That's like that. Just kind of puts it in context. Like this is this turnaround has never ever been seen before. Oh, I, I was looking at there was another graphic that was up. Thankfully, Louis Vacare jumped on because it was they listed here are the top five win ro- win loss records in the country for first year head coaches, right? And Jeff Brom was number one, right, with I think ten wins, and. David Braun was number two, and that was with a inaccurately represented win-loss record because they hadn't added the bowl win. So he only had seven wins, and seven wins was enough for him to be second in the country in wins this in wins for a first-year coach. And the other thing that they didn't talk about, which goes to everything Scuzz just said, is of the five guys on that list, all of them had been head coaches somewhere else before. David Braun hadn't even been a coach a head coach at the FCS level, let alone the FBS level. And he put up eight wins to Jeff Brom's 10 wins. I mean, it was a, a unbelievable performance. And it's funny talking about the game. We had so much discussion last week about it's going to be hard to evaluate where this bowl stands relative to the others and where the season stands relative to the others. And still we've seen the bowl game. And I think we all can agree. Like this bowl game, isn't going to live in the annals of greatest dramatic most dramatic bowl games ever, right? I mean, Ben Bryant had a really clutch play, and the offense made a ton of big plays at the very end. But this was not a shootout. It was a defensive battle. It was a little bit of a rock fight for a lot of the game, etc. And yet, I think as we've talked about, so many of the largest notes of this season have to do with the enormity of what has been done this season. And I think even we are feeling, in the wake of this win, that getting it to eight, it just, I mean, having seen it and having it actually happen, it truly is a stunning achievement. And I think Jay's feeling, right, was that he puts it in his mind fourth after 48-95-96, which is a pretty unbelievable group. And, at you know, so I feel like on one hand, you're, you're, there's a lot of people to be like, wait, well, what about like 2018? What about 2020? What about the Gator Bowl season? What about all these? And, and it's like, 
I don't argue with any of those. And if your personal preference is higher, that's cool. But at the same time, I think Jay's larger point is you can't oversell what happened this season. And I don't think we ever will. It's truly a staggering achievement. Well, when I want to put the, I talked earlier about like Northwestern putting the exclamation point on the season with this bowl win. And I think that's really important for a couple of reasons because like with or without this bowl is bulgy. And he, like, let's say they don't get that touchdown to go up 14, seven, they get a field goal. And then Utah somehow like forces overtime, ekes it out, whatever, like, of course, we're all going to be super disappointed, but it doesn't take away from just the, the enormity of the season and the turnaround. But there is something about that exclamation point on the end of it that really maintains the momentum and, and, and the narrative going into the next season. We talked a little bit about this last week, and or you guys did when I was out sick, but like the idea of you know rankings and <clears throat> what, what a bowl win can do for you in terms of perception as you go into the next year. But I think about the year 2000. And I think about, now this was a little bit, this is colored not just by the loss in the Alamo Bowl to Nebraska, but, but how bad um, that loss was and how, how just demoralizing <laughs> that loss was. And it doesn't take anything away from my enjoyment of the season, but in retrospect, that shared Big Ten title just feels less amazing mm. because of what came after. And I think like 95 it, it, it is just it's just never going to be topped. Ninety five is just never going to be topped. Um, the the absolute shock of of what happened that season is is impossible to to replicate. And you know, I think you know Jay had them had this year twenty twenty three number four on his list, but also kind of like gave credence to the idea that it, really it's number two because you can kind of bucket ninety five and ninety six together. Forty eight is so long ago that. You know, in terms of the, like modern era college football, this is the second best, most or most important season of Northwestern ever, and I think he he catches that a little bit in that like you have a bad year this year after everything that went down last summer, the year before the Big Ten expands and adds UCLA, USC, Washington, and Oregon, you've got struggles with NIL, you've got Northwestern and their transfer portal issues that we talked about earlier. And the uncertainty of the stadium. I mean, the stadium uh, yeah. was, yeah. Uncertainty of the stadium. I mean, you're talking about a program on the precipice of really losing all the relevance that it has built up over the last several years. And that's like, I, like maybe this is hyperbole, but that's why this season and this performance and these outcomes were so incredibly important if you care about Northwestern football in this program because of what it does for the, the lifeblood and the longevity of, of Northwestern football in, in the broader scheme. And and like, that may sound like I'm, I'm, you know, being totally crazy and, and, and dramatic, et cetera. But I don't think I am. I think there's some real, I I think, I think you're spot on. Yeah. There's some real risk there. And I think like the other thing that just blows my mind about what Braun achieved this year is not just that it was so unlikely, not just that everybody predicted Northwestern would go two and 10 Everyone who was a fan of this program, who was a diehard of this program, was predicting us to go 2-10. and 10. And a large segment of those fans and those diehards were not just saying that Northwestern was going to go 2-10, and 10, but that this was the death knell for Northwestern football and that they were never going to be the same. And, and that, like pe- people were like, you know, 
everyone was, was going to transfer and people people were not going yep. to games and yep. you know, just everything that everyone was going to transfer everyone was going to leave there was going to be nobody left like that this was the end of northwestern football as we knew it and i'm talking about july when when fitz was fired that was like there was a large portion of the fan base that was saying that and unequivocally that's just not true and that that's a large credit to the players that came together to make this season happen. It's a large credit to the staff, and it's a huge credit to Braun and what he brought uh, to 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 this job and and put his absolute heart and soul into achieving what they achieved this year. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things like where. Bradley Locker mentioned it in his post-game, post-bowl piece this year. He said it was an important win, but a foundational win, and echoing everything that you just said. And it's really important for a lot of people to remember that it's like, it's foundational in a generational sense, and foundational in really specific senses also. Like, we didn't win these games because of magic. We won these games because a lot of guys got a lot better and got very good coaching, right? And 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 doing it by working their asses off. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that's the thing. It's like part of the reason that I'm like, you know, thinking about this this crazy precipice that Northwestern's heading into, you know, with like playing away from home and the new Big Ten, et cetera, et cetera, is like we played 12 deep on the defensive line this year. And like the majority of those guys are back and they all played really well and got better all season. And again, like we'll talk about it more in a little bit. But I mean, like there are huge pieces coming back behind the defensive line and it's it's the specifics there's the specifics of the future and the specifics of this foundation that we can all look for um that again it's not just pie in the sky it's not just good feelings right when people talk about this is a special a special season a foundational season a crucial season in terms of getting this program shifted in the right direction. We're not just talking about these vague generalities. They're real specifics, real player development, real improvement um, in so many different ways that truly does carry forward. And really, it's just, it goes to the nature of, of like the Northwestern brand. You know, like you work hard, you come together and 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 it it really shows just how great uh how great the story can be um and i want to thank so much uh you know this like the post segment was brought to you by teamworks media jay just does such a great job bringing out the strengths of of your brand as a as an organization and if you you know are looking to help your brand story give him a call 312-446-9435 or email him j at teamworksmedia.com so um once again thanks so much to jay and uh yeah um so as we look to spin things forward a little bit you know we you know we're coming off the game we are the news has at, been the no, the news yeah. has been fast and furious <laughs> Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, we we mentioned uh, you know the, kind of the news dump that happened at the end of the game. Uh, what with Sean McDonough basically saying, "Yeah, Tim McGarrigle is going to be the new defensive coordinator. Bajakian is out. Um, Jenick is out." And five, like, five total five, coaching yeah, five changes. Total coaching is what, changes. what he said they expected. He didn't he didn't list them, but um. but and, and like 
that in you know Braun to his credit said you know we're we're celebrating this right now we're not going to worry about next year right now and you know let let everyone who is involved in this season enjoy this season and you know enjoy the end to this season and put put a bow on this and enjoy this together before we start looking ahead uh to 2024 but you know in in the days to follow you know we did get some guys going into the portal uh we got uh, our first bit of coaching change news uh, just today, as we record this on the 28th, um, you know, is announced Mike Bajakian, uh, Jeff Jenick, and uh, performance coach Jay Hooten uh, were all relieved of their duties today. One name that was absent from that was Kurt Anderson. Um, interesting, and uh, there's a number of reasons for that, and I, I mean, we can we can go into to uh, Kurt a little bit later, but you know, just as, as we start to turn the page onto the fully, the David Braun era, I I think that these, you know, these changes were inevitable and, and there's, there should be more coming as well. Yeah. These changes were inevitable. This is, this is like Northwestern fans who are, who are looking at this with a very like Northwestern centric view. Like this is jarring because we had such stability in the coaching ranks for so many years. This is par for the course, folks. A new head coach comes in. That head coach wants their staff and their guys. And part of the cost of that is players who are beholden to or came to play for, for those other position coaches or those coordinators, et cetera, decide to move on. And there are more avenues for them to do that now with, with the portal and less fewer restrictions on transferring. This is just par for the course. And I say that not to like hand wave any, you know, some of these departures are, are, you know, guys that we would rather not be departing. I'm not trying to say like, it's nothing to worry about or nothing to, to or something to be like, just ignore, but like, I'm just trying to emphasize like, this is what every other team goes through on a regular basis. Um, I'm also not suggesting that Northwestern should have like total upheaval of their coaching staff, but the, the idea that like, let's, I'm going to be super frank. Like in my opinion, Northwestern and the staff got really stale. I mean, we, you know, they, they were talking about like for, for a long time through the, through the 15 to 18 years, right? Like zero changes on the coaching staff in, in 10 or 12 years. And we talked about a lot vis-a-vis Mick McCall and that you get stale with your thinking, you get stale with your, your approach. You're only going to guys that are in the program or have come through the program. And it is just so important to build that diversity of thought and those different perspectives and to bring in external guys. This is going to be true for David Braun too. He needs to go outside of his coaching circle and his comfort zone to bring in the right guys to fill out this staff, but it's got to be his guys and they got to be his, his approach. And it just makes sense. It's what you would expect to happen. There's also, as we talked before about Mike Bajakian, some really good reasons for him to no longer be offensive coordinator of the Northwestern Wildcats. Right. And I think it's important to know too, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I don't think Northwestern's officially announced it yet. These are reports that I think people are yes, reporting fair. that Northwestern's yeah. going yeah. to be doing this. And part of the but reason, but it's, co- it's coming from like multiple sources though. So it feels like, Oh, right, right. And part of the reason I bring that up is only because like, if you're seeing some names on this list and other names, not on this list, it's because like Northwestern hasn't officially announced anything yet. So this literally might just be like information that has gotten to a certain person at a certain time, et cetera. And again, like they're, I think the dust is still all going to settle on that, but the other piece of it too, in addition to all the hiring 
piece of this that's all going to play out in the coming weeks, and, and we're not going to get deep in the speculation on that in this pod. But there is the piece about about guys in the portal. And obviously the big name going into the bowl game was Josh Preeb. We now know that Josh Preeb is transferring to Michigan. And I think, obviously, Preeb mentioned Anderson in his statement. And I do think that it's really important not to frame this in terms of he really loved, and not saying he did, of course he loved Anderson. Obviously, the offensive linemen all had an awesome relationship with Kurt Anderson. But I don't think it's 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 selling Josh Preve short to frame this in terms of like, that was his guy, he doesn't think his guy is going to be retained, and so he's moving on. I think a much more rational way to look at this is to look at it and couple it with another guy who we found out is, is in the portal right now too, Rod Hurd. And... In both of the cases of both of those two guys, those are two guys who we expect, like our expectation was, those two guys are not coming back because those two guys are going into the NFL draft. And they both have eligibility remaining. But I think our expectation was, we're not getting these two guys back next year because they're going on to Sunday football. Well, I think what we're probably seeing now is they may be, you know, have looked at draft evals or talked to whoever and been told, look, like you would be best served with one more year. And in that one year, you need to accomplish X, Y, and Z. Right. And for, for those guys, like for a guy like pre example, like he may be in a situation where, again, I think of like a Ben Skoranek. Now, obviously Northwestern's in a lot better situation right now than Skoranek felt like Northwestern was when he had to leave. But these guys literally have one year that could be a make and break year for them. Right. And if that's the kind of eval Preeb's getting and he's got Michigan saying, look, like we haven't established, like this is the situation that's in place. Here's the situation on our O-line. Here's what we're offering you. And, you know, X, Y, and Z. Again, we can't know all the specifics here, but it's just to say, like, these guys have to make a high pressure decision that's not fun for them to have to make with a potential pro future on the line. And Rod Hurd is the same thing. Again, like we don't know the specifics, but it could be that. Rod Hurd was given, you know, draft evals came back and they were like, look, like, if you're going to get drafted, we need to see you do X. And then suddenly they had to be like, well, look, given the flux that Northwestern's in, I've got to find a place where I 100% know I'm going to do X. And look, I like, we know, like, Rod Hurd's family. Like, they're fantastic. Like, this was a hard decision for them. 100%, right? And it's like to have to make hard decisions like these quickly in clutch, in pressure situations with like a pro future riding on them is a horrible position for anyone to have to be in. Um, and that's, so I mean, again, it's like when you look at a guy like Preeb in the portal, you look at a guy like Rod Hurd in the portal, like these are done for very specific reasons that are tied to very specific things they're being told about what they need to accomplish to play at the next level. Well, I think I think something that somebody could be kind of reacting to what you just said there, John, be like, well, look at, you know, Rashawn Slater and look at, um, Skaronsky and what, what do you mean like he needs to go somewhere else to, 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 to show his showcase his, his prowess as an offensive lineman and the reality is like when you're in that you know high pressure situations you're thinking about your your, your future career and we haven't talked to, to Preeb or, or Heard, so we don't we don't know this to be true we're speculating a little bit but I would think that if if you're in that high pressure situation you've got to make a decision every variable behind that decision suddenly has a lot more weight on it and full stop, there is uncertainty around Anderson. There was, you know, <laughs> less uncertainty around Bajakian, but like you don't know who's coming in to replace him. Um, 
not sure who, you know, if, if, if the new DC is McGarrigal, like great, but like there could be other changes in the defensive staff. Like I think it is certainly fair and well within these guys, you know, rights and, and right thinking to be like, I just don't know what next year is going to look like for me. And so while I know what I'm hearing from the NFL, what I need, and I think that the staff is going to try to get me everything I need. I don't know that I can get it here. And that's, I think it's a super fair thing to be thinking about. And I guess like Skoranek is a great example, John, because Skoranek coming out of Northwestern, they, they told him like, we don't know if you're a tight end or a wide receiver. He's like, well, I better go somewhere where I can be in a pro style offense and be a wide receiver. And ironically, like, I think he would have done pretty well in a Bajakian system in that 2020 offense. Um, ironic for a number of different reasons. But he had but, no way um, of knowing, right. But he had no way of knowing. And so he had to make that decision. He had to make it by a certain point, and he went to Notre Dame, and he and he got signed by the Rams. He won a, he's got a Super Bowl ring. He had, was a meaningful contributor on that team. Like, these guys, their career's on the line. So that's that's a really, like, that's a really important thing to consider. Um, at the same time, I think... Um, I like I don't know that I don't know that Josh did himself any favors but like he kind of articulated it as like it's a it, it's about he kind of his announcement almost made it sound like it was more about Anderson which I think again is just a reflection of like how big of a variable that is and 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 what he's trying to figure out but seniors do this all that like you saw uh uh Jeremiah Lewis leave leave Duke to come to Northwestern last year very similar very similar situation um these guys that are that are hoping to go pro I need to show something. Brandon Joseph. Brandon Joseph is the yeah. is the is the bad example here, where Joseph decided to like Joseph stayed at Northwestern, and was completely misused by Jim O'Neill, just catastrophically miscast and 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 put into a box on defense that did not fit his his skill set and where he excelled, and I think it really stunted his potential. Um, in, at, at, at the next level. And that's, that sucks. That's what you don't want to happen. And so as much as I hate to see Rod and, and Josh leave Northwestern, um, I thought, John, you said it very well on, on, on Twitter. These guys have been, you know, multi-year starters, warriors for this team, you know, leaders in, in, in the locker room, bringing this particular season to fruition. I, I hate that Josh is going to Michigan, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Right. Like and, and he's, yeah. he's like, from Michigan. I mean, it, it, yeah, it, make, it makes sense. Like I wish, I wish them both well. I, I you know, we, like I want nothing but the best for for both of them, and I hope to be hope hope that we get to watch them play on Sundays down the road. Right. I mean, we talked about it on Twitter, but it's like in the case of Rod Hurd, I'm gonna I'm gonna admit that this is a selfish thing. When I see Rod Hurd playing in the NFL on Sundays, I want it to say Northwestern under his name, oh, and, and so, I'm going to be so bummed much. if it says another, just because that guy is a heart and soul of Northwestern kind of guy, yeah. and I think we all very much yeah. feel that way. There was one other transfer that was mentioned that was a freshman, right? And I think, I think Alex Alex Deuced, Alex Deuced, and I think because that freshman class was hit with a couple big transfers out in the summer when all this happened. Um, and then, of course, the class of 2024 took that big hit at the exact same time. I think a lot of people are still scarred from all of that, and then they see Deuce transferring out. But, I mean, Deuce is from Arizona, and his position coach is probably leaving. I mean, it's not hard to put, like, that. The, uh, it just makes a perfect amount of sense. He came a long way to come to Northwestern, and his position coach is leaving, and... I mean, we would love for him to stay. We would love for him to come out of the portal and return to Northwestern. But 
it just makes a ton of obvious sense. Like, and don't be surprised if if he does transfer out that you see him transfer somewhere closer to home. I mean, it's just like we've seen this kind of thing happen before. Um, and, and, and again, like again, I would rather have him stay. But these are all things. So again, it's like these these things have all unfolded over the past couple of days, and we're all kind of absorbing them. And then in the in the same in the middle of it, we got that I'm knocking wood right here as I say this because it would be such a fantastic piece of news. Xander Mueller seems to indicate on Instagram that he's coming back to Northwestern next year. Yeah, which uh, it is difficult to oversell how big a deal that would be. I we said it on Twitter. I don't think it's hyperbole. I don't think there's another team in the Big Ten that would return a defensive player as good. He was undersold big time as an all Big Ten third team linebacker. He was for sure better than that. He was a revelation this season. And he will absolutely be right at the head of a lot of first team all Big Ten preseason lists if he does come back. And then the other thing we talked about with that is, and this goes right to everything we said about the game, it becomes really easy, really quickly to put pieces together on this defense with him sitting right in the middle of it. Because we already talked about that, like, something like nine of these flipping guys on the defensive line and maybe more are coming back. So it's not just, it's it's not just a talented, it's deep, which none of us could have fathomed at the start of this season. But it's all of these guys, and guys like Hubbard and Kilbane, who are young. Sokka, Sokka's young. Um that are all, you know, continuing to improve. But with Xander sitting on that defense, Kenny Source is a linebacker, or he's a linebacker at least half the time. Plug him in, and then, I don't know, maybe the Big Ten's best special teams, like, player this season, like, coverage man in Braden Bruss, he's a linebacker. And then it's, like, Devin Turner. Jaheim Joseph has a year of eligibility if he wants to use it. That's a guy who had three picks in his last two games. Theron Johnson, or a die. Like, again... It's really easy to walk yourself through all the positions in a quality defensive unit for Northwestern. So I mean, I like my brain immediately goes to that place, and I'm like, yeah, there's a lot there. Particularly, you know, there's a lot here, but especially on the defensive side of the ball, you can build from. Yeah, I, I don't want to get I don't want to get too deep in the recruiting stuff right now because we're going to cover that down the road. But there was a lot of consternation about Northwestern's recruiting class. Very low rated, not a lot of stars, et cetera. Like a couple I mean, things. It, so, it, it's low rated because it, it wasn't met many people. Well, th- right? there's it was, the, only, it was only fifteen guys. Well, it's, it's, it, it, yes. So that's a huge portion of it. So they're about when you when you when you rank on average stars as opposed to you know the the whatever metric rivals typically ranks on, they go up about uh, twenty spots in the rankings or seventeen spots in the rankings. So it's a big piece of it, but it's also not like a very talented class on paper, but like. The reality is there's a number of decommits. This is what happens when you change head coach, folks. Yep. We haven't done it for forever in a day. I don't even know like the, the state of what rivals recruitment rankings were in 2006, but like a lot well, has and, changed. And that was, a, that was a different situation. I think the last time we actually made a coaching hire, uh, you know, in the traditional fashion was what? 99. Well, if you count if you count if you count Barnett leaving and us needing yeah, to replace him that, as a, that, as as opposed to choosing to relieve a guy of his duties, right? Um, I, then you're I going do. then you're going back to like 1993. Um, no, I, I, I think I think 92? Barnett leaving and, and firing someone is 
I, I think that's the same. It's commensurate, yeah. So like, yeah. but like the re- the reality is, is like a lot has changed in terms of like recruiting yes. and recruits and all that sort of stuff. Much to what I was saying earlier, like this is just what happens. Like you, so recruiting is something that hap- that that starts like a year and a half in advance of a commitment, if not if yeah. not sooner. And so Braun coming in, he's got virtually no time to 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 spend with these recruits he's got he's got virtually no relationship he's focused first and foremost on keeping the team together keeping them focused getting them functioning and operating on the field hey guess what he did a hell of a job with that um but like you cannot evaluate his ability to recruit on this particular class absolutely um, not next class like yeah for sure like he's he's got to he's got to put in the work and he's got to he's got to get a really a, a good class together the next time around, or it's going to, you know, that that's a momentum and a narrative that, that can stymie you as well. Um, but one of the reasons, and I've spent more time on this than I really intended to do even off the top, but one of the reasons that this class was so small is because they are anticipating so many players staying or using an, an extra year of eligibility, using a COVID year of eligibility. I think they're, they're, they're projecting only having, what 15 spots on the team yeah for recruits so th- like this is not about like we couldn't get we could we could only get so many people to commit this is about like the guys that are here want to stay and they want to keep playing for this staff and they want to keep playing for this team and if right. that is not 180 degree from where you thought we would be right now not just six months ago but 12 months ago absolutely like it, it's a big difference and it's a huge health marker for this program yeah absolutely i mean we were batting around again like we're not gonna go too too deep down this rabbit hole because these things will all play out over the weeks and months forward and we'll have plenty of time to talk about it but right i mean to everything you're saying i mean i think about like lacrosse i think about softball right and this idea that like oh yeah when you have a group of people who are chasing something that they haven't gotten and they chase it forever, and then they finally get it. And then our assumption is that, like, oh, and now they'll just be like, oh, peace out. It's like, nope. A lot of times when people finally get the thing they've been chasing forever, they want to keep having that thing. And it's like, for guys like, this is what we're talking about. Like, think about the tight end position. The tight end position could be in major depth problems, or it could not at all. We know Charlie Mangieri is gone, I believe. But theoretically, and I, I might even be wrong about Manjiri. I would just assume everybody can come back. Yeah, but, yeah, every right. one of those, but every one of those guys either is logically done. Like a lot of them have been there four years. And I mean every one of the tight ends who played. They've all been here four years, five years. Theoretically, they could all be gone. Or they could all be back. There's just those guys all have a COVID year. And I don't know. Like Again, like I'm not in the mind of a guy like a Thomas Gordon. I'm just saying, yeah, on one hand, that guy's been here a long, long time. On the other hand, recent history of what he's been involved in was not what he was wanting from this, you know, from his experience for several years in a row. And then he finally got it and he still has eligibility. He might be like, I want more of this. I want now I want to get to play in Soldier Field. Now I want to get to do, you know maybe play in Wrigley again or whatever. And now maybe I've I, next year I would get to play Washington, Ohio State, and Michigan, and I want a piece of all of those teams. I want more. And 
again, who knows how many guys across how many positions are feeling the exact same thing and and wanting more of this. And I mean, again, like think of softball, think of lacrosse. Why should we assume that they would just want to hang it up when finally the ship is pointed in the direction that they want it to be? Have you ever thought about building a Westlaw Pirates-like community for your business? If so, we've got your solution. Teamworks Media, a brand marketing and content company, is here to help you tell your brand story better. Better yet, you can work directly with the founder, Jay Sharman, known on this podcast as Like the Posts. The same expertise he's brought to brands like ESPN, the Big Ten Conference, and Northwestern University are now available to you in an affordable way, directly with this Wildcat superfan. Contact Jay directly at 312-446-9435 or jay at teamworksmedia.com to learn how to elevate your brand story. You know, we will have a lot more time to talk about this. And like we said, there's still a lot more yet to come. There's more like announcements will need to be made and and we can start speculating on who they'll bring in. But like on on that on that front, I, I think it is just impossible to speculate, you know, who Northwestern might bring in. We don't know what. David Braun is looking for from an offensive coordinator. Like, I have no idea. Um, you know, I don't even know, like, does he have an idea of, of what he's looking for in an OC? Right. Like a bunch of people, a bunch of people point the point at North Dakota state because of the obvious connections. And it's like, maybe, or maybe not at all. <laughs> yeah. just like, it feels given, given his focus on the defense, I would expect him to try to bring in a, a like, a NOC that can operate more independently. Um, and I mean, this, this is, this is what you often see, right. With, with a, with a head coach that is, that has a, a proclivity for one side of the ball or the other, they tend to bring in a more like assistant level head coach for the other, for the other spot. Um, right. And I don't know, like to Fitz's credit, I think we all thought, Bajakian could be that type of, uh, offensive coordinator, um, didn't pan out. Um, but, like that that's why I would I would be pretty surprised if he brought in the NDSU offensive coordinator. That that would be pretty surprising to me. Um and we'll see. I like but I, I it's a um it's a brave new day and I think like anyone who like again, Northwestern fans, you haven't had to go through a ton of coaching changes and some of the coordinator changes that we've like <laughs> like the last two coordinator changes, Jim O'Neill and and Mike Bajakian, were um, not great, not great, Bob. <laughs> um, but David Braun, really good. Um, you look at Christian Smith and Armand Bins, and um, I'm 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 not even going to remember all the names of the other uh, assistant coaches that that came in this year, but like, pretty darn good. This can work in our favor. And I and I frankly think we you know it should have worked in our favor on the offensive side last year, but um, we waited a year, so so it goes. Chris Foster is the name I think you were looking. Chris for, Foster, thank coach. you on running backs. Yes. Yeah. So, um, anything else to mention before we get out of here tonight? Well, since we I guess we're officially putting this 2023 season to bed at this point right and what a frigging season what a season what a year i mean what an incredible stretch run 
right? Like the idea that this team won, right? Like was it six of the last seven? Five of the last six? Um, and that stretch doesn't include the Minnesota game, which was one of the most exciting Northwestern football games any of us saw. What a season. What a miracle season. What an incredible result. Um, and again, for all of the players who were a part of this season, I mean, again, like regardless of who stays, who goes, etc., like we're all going to forget what was done. I mean, we're all never going to forget what was done this season and, and how special it was, and it'll always be up at the top of those great Northwestern seasons. Yeah, I, I, um, I am sad to, to note that this is um, a season where I did not set foot in Ryan Field, uh, nor did I see the Northwestern Wildcats play live and in person. And that was not, that was not like a conscious, just didn't work out for my, my schedule and my family and everything. Um, so, uh, I plan to rectify that next year in some way, shape or form, hopefully. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, just th- this, this has been one of the more fun seasons I can recall. Um, as a Northwestern fan for, for all the, all the things that we've talked about throughout the course of the year. And just like, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, 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 I do have this sense of it's a brave new world going forward and, and let's embrace that. And, and, um, you know, here's hoping for, um, for a repeat of unexpected outcomes next season in a good way. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, you got to think that, you know, there's a lot more news coming, including probably in not in the not too distant future. I would imagine we're going to get some clarity on the uh, where we're going to be playing the games next year, because season tickets are going to be going like renewals are going out fairly soon, if I recall correctly. I mean that that happens pretty quick, so you know we're going to need to have some sense of of where we're going to be playing and. You know, if if the rumblings I'm hearing are accurate, and you know people seem to be insinuating that um, we might be getting some games in Bridgeview uh, at, at the uh, SeatGeek Stadium, I think that's what it's called these days, the old Chicago Fire Stadium. Uh, Tailgates at Sam's house, baby. Let's do it. It, it, <laughs> it, it really could be. I mean, it's just way close. It's very convenient for me. I know it's not as convenient for anyone in Evanston, but. It, it's a great place to watch a game. And if that's where we see a majority of the games, there are way worse places to be playing. Like we could be playing at new Trier. I, I don't Eey. know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well on that note, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com. We can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Westlaw pirates and email the show westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.